The sermon passage this morning comes from the book of Luke. Please turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Following the reading of God's word, we will sing the Gloria Patri, which is printed for you in your bulletin. Luke, chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath? to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them and all, and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. One of the things that our church and Presbyterians in general talk about a lot are the sacraments. We say baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs. They point to something. The water in baptism points to the cleansing of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The bread and wine point to the flesh and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is one sign that we don't often talk about as a sign. It's not a sacrament, but we we don't really talk about it as a sign, and what, I'm, uh, what I want to suggest to you is that the Sabbath is a sign. It is a sign that points us to the life that is only found in God and in Christ. That's part of the purpose of the Sabbath as a creation ordinance. When God made the world, on the, He made the world in six days, on the seventh day He rested. Here's what Richard Gaffin has said. He's a New Testament scholar. The Sabbath day is an eschatological sign, a recurring pointer to the consummation. In a world without God and without hope, our weekly Sabbath keeping is a voiceless but nonetheless eloquent and powerful witness, a sign of hope, the hope God assures us, which does not disappoint. I would like to suggest to you this morning that there are three 
parts or aspects to the Sabbath. One aspect is an upward aspect. Another is an outward aspect. And then finally, there's an inward aspect. It's the upward, the outward, the inward. We'll go through each of those aspects. First, I want to set the stage. This episode takes place when Jesus is walking through a grain field, the first part, with his disciples. They are hungry. Therefore, they pick the heads of the grain and they eat them. What could be wrong with that? Well, the Pharisees said that this was unlawful to do on the Sabbath. And why did they say that? Because in the history of uh, the Jewish people, there were rabbinical writings that were non-inspired writings that were added to the Bible. And that writing, or some of those writings, had 39 categories of work that was prohibited on the Sabbath day. They wanted to prevent people from working. They wanted to honor the Sabbath. So they added all kinds of categories. Certain things were quite nonsensical, like tying knots and untying knots and writing more than one letter on the Sabbath day could actually be, according to the Mishnah or rabbinical writing, unlawful. Reaping, threshing, winnowing, preparing food, these were unlawful activities on the Sabbath day, according to the extra-biblical writing. But were they really doing something wrong? No, because in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it says that if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. In other words, you can't harvest the grain and steal it all from your neighbor, but if you're going through and you need to eat, that's fine. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees. He, he knows what they're thinking. He rebukes them. But how does he do so? He does it by bringing to mind 1 Samuel chapter 21. In 1 Samuel 21, David is running for his life. He's on the run. His companions are hungry. So he goes to Ahimelech the priest, and he asks the priest for food. But there is no food except for the consecrated bread, the bread of presence, which was meant only to be eaten by the priests. Now, this was on a Sabbath day. But what does Ahimelech do? Ahimelech reasons that, it doesn't exactly say it, but the subtext is, the Sabbath day is meant for life. It's pointing us to the consummate life that we're going to have in the age to come. But it's also for life now. And he feeds David and his companions. He's never rebuked for it. It's, it's approved. So Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for not understanding the original purpose of the Sabbath day according to the Old Testament. He then gives two remarkable titles in verse 5. He says in verse 5 that he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man, that's the first title. Titles are very important. One title that is most commonly used of Jesus is Christ. That's the most common title given to Jesus. It's not a name as much as it's a title, meaning Messiah or anointed one. The gospel writers use it more than any other title. They also use, number two, the second most used title is Lord to refer to Jesus. Adonai, excuse me, that's the Old Testament. The Greek is kurios. 
The Old Testament was Adonai, which referred to exclusively to God. But the third title that is used most often of Jesus is the Son of Man. What's interesting about that title is it's the number one title that Jesus uses of himself. He talks about himself being the Son of Man more than he talks about himself being the Christ or Lord. Why? To understand that, let me read you a passage from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel sees a vision. I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Most commentators think the Ancient of Days is referring to God the Father. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I saw in the night vision... Behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. This is who Jesus is identifying himself with. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. Do you hear the great authority that is given to the Son of Man in this passage. Jesus is identifying himself as that person. But that's not all. Jesus is also referring to himself as Lord of the Sabbath. What does he mean by that? It's important. If you want to find the rest that God has designed for you to have, you need to know what he means by the Lord of the Sabbath. In order to understand that, I want to give you a short history lesson. I hope that's okay. When I went to seminary, one of the things that was drilled into me was a creator-creature distinction. There's the creator God, and then there's everything else. So heaven, angels, earth, us, it's all created. But then there's God, and God alone is Lord. God alone has a being that no one else has. There's God, and then there's everything else. One of the debates of the early church was what side of the creator creature divide is Jesus, the Son of God, on. Interestingly, the big debate was over a single iota in the Greek language. There was a a huge following in the church of Arius, and Arius thought that Jesus is the Son of God, but the Son of God is homoousios. He's like God, but he's not the same substance as God. Similar substance, not the same Similar. He's a created being. The Son of God is a created being, according to Arius. And there were a lot of people in the church in that day who thought that that was the orthodox, correct view of the Son of God. But there was another man named Athanasius. Athanasius taught that the Son of Jesus is the Son of God, and the Son of God is homoousios, of the same substance as God. Now, what made it into our creed. There was actually a council, Nicene, the Council of Nicaea. What made it into the Nicene Creed is that we confess that the Son of God is begotten, not made. He is not created. Of one substance with the Father, of the same substance, not of a similar substance. So not homoousios, but homoousios. Now, why do I take you through that history lesson? Not to show you that, I'm, that I know it, but it's for this reason. When Jesus says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, which side of the creator-creature distinction is he putting himself on? 
Well, who created the Sabbath? The Creator God. It's a creation ordinance. He created all things in six days. On the seventh day, He rested. Jesus is saying, I am God of one substance with the Father, the Creator, the Creator God, and therefore I am Lord of the Sabbath. Now, here's why that's important, because it is His day. The Pharisees were saying, oh, you can't do this on the Sabbath day. Who created the Sabbath? It's as, if it's as if Jesus is saying, who are you to tell me about the Sabbath? I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I've created the Sabbath day. I don't bow to it. It bows to me. And therefore, the upward aspect of the Sabbath day is this, that when we come to worship God, we bow the knee to the Lord of the Sabbath. It is His day. He defines the way that it looks. He defines what is to be done on that day and what's not to be done. Now, we can get into a lot of debates about what that means in public worship, what's allowed and what's not allowed. I commend to you two resources. One resource, of course, would be the Westminster Confession of Faith and the larger catechism. You can read on the fourth commandment the things that are uh, taught there. But I also commend to you the past, Pastor Johnson's sermon last year on the fourth commandment when we were going through the Heidelberg Catechism. You can go back and review that. But my point in saying all of, all of this is to say that it's primarily about the Lord of the Sabbath giving him his due as Lord, as King, as Creator God, and as Redeemer. Here's what Phil Riken has said concerning the Sabbath. The Lord's day is for worship. It is for praising God with His people, for personal prayer and Bible study, and for fellowship with other Christians. It is for all these things because it is, the Lord, it is for the Lord Jesus Christ. If we dishonor the day, we dishonor Him. But as we honor the day, we honor Him because He is Lord of this day. It's also why we celebrate it this day on Sunday because we changed it from the last part of the week to the first part of the week. Why? Because it's the day that he was raised in glory. It's his day. That's not the only aspect, though. There's an outward aspect, an outward aspect of worship. We see that particularly in verses 6 through 11. It's another Sabbath day. Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. There's a man with a shriveled hand there. And the Pharisees are wondering is Jesus going to heal this man? Now, believe it or not, healing for the Pharisees was another thing that was prohibited on the Sabbath day. They said it was okay if there's a life-threatening Ill life illness and medical care needs to be provided for this person to save their life. That's allowable on the Sabbath day. But what's not allowable, what's not allowed, is non-essential medical care, anything that's not life-saving. So when Jesus was going to heal this, they were wondering, they were thinking he, to heal would be to violate the Sabbath. But Jesus turns it upside down. And to really understand this, let me give you some of the Old Testament passages about worship. Here's one in Amos chapter 5 that speaks about justice. You oppress the poor and take bribes, and you deprive the poor of justice in the courts. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. 
Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Micah 6 verse 8 says, What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. This passage is also repeated in Matthew and in Mark. There's three accounts, one in Matthew, one in Mark, one in Luke. And the one in Matthew, Jesus says this, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea 6.6. You would not have condemned the innocent. What is Jesus saying in all of this? He's going back to the original purpose of the old, in the Old Testament, in the Sabbath. It's not only about giving God His due. It's about justice and mercy. And therefore, in His eyes, if you have the power to help someone in need on the Sabbath day and you don't do it, that itself is wrong. So Jesus exercises His power not only to show that He's Lord of the Sabbath and to heal this man, but for this man's sake, because he's a merciful high priest. He cares about the outward aspect. Here's what Phil Riken has said about the outward aspect of the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is for visiting the sick. It's for welcoming strangers, especially internationals. It's for helping people worship in the nursing home, for hosting the homeless to dinner, for giving fatherly care to orphans, for taking time to counsel friends who need encouragement. It is a day for giving all the service to God that we are unable to give the rest of the week. The Lord has given us a great day for the gospel, not just preaching it, but also practicing it through loving deeds of mercy. One final thing I would like to say about this outward aspect of, of the Lord's day is this, that we can debate about the sign of the Lord's Day. We can debate about the, the signs of baptism and the Lord's Supper. But let's remember who these signs point to. Here's what another commentator has said. If we see Christ in persons whose theology we don't agree and whose forms of church government we can't commend, we must set Christ above the outward forms and receive the brother still. The brother may be wrong. But if we see the Lord in him, let us love him, for Christ is greater than the temple. We dare not exalt any outward ordinance above Christ as the test of a man's Christianity. We would die for the defense of those outward ordinances which Christ commands, but for all that the Lord himself is greater than the ordinance, and we love all the members of his mystical body. When I come to church on the Lord's day, my heart's desire is Threefold, I want God to be honored upwardly. I want us to worship Him with reverence and awe. But I also want, if someone comes into our fellowship seeking, and maybe, maybe not even knowing the Lord, and I think it's foolish to think that that doesn't happen. What's my heart's desire for that person? I want them to know the Lord of the Sabbath. I want them to know the Lord. That's what I want most of all. Somewhere down the list, you know, if they come to know the Lord and they learn about different aspects of theology. Somewhere down the list, 
I would love to have a conversation with them about the signs, but I want them to know the Lord. That's what I want first. And I think that's what we should all want first for people. There is, of course, the third aspect. Now, before I I get to that third aspect of the Sabbath, let me just draw your attention to verse 11. Because in verse 11, the Pharisees are furious. They begin to discuss what they might do to Jesus. Now, when it says what they might do, do you think that's a good thing? No. You think, oh, we're going to give him, we're going to give him some applause or some, some good things for healing a man on the Sabbath. No. Consider the irony. On the Lord's day that is meant to give life, they are seeking or plotting to take life. In my opinion, I think they're plotting on what they might do actually to get rid of Jesus. So who's violating the Sabbath? Jesus or the Pharisees? Now, there is one more aspect of the Sabbath that I want to mention that's not so much taught here as it is implied. There's also an inward aspect. Here's what I mean by that. The Sabbath day is meant that we would commune with our Father and Lord Jesus Christ by the power of His Spirit. It's meant also for us, to give life to us as we feed upon Christ crucified and raised. That's part of what the Sabbath is meant to do. There's an upward aspect. We are giving God His due. There's an outward aspect that we love other people. We seek to honor and do justice to other people, help them. But there's also rest for our souls. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. What does it mean to rest from our work as God rested from his work? What do you think that means? I think it might mean that work is good in its place. It is a creation, also a creation um, mandate. God made us, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, take dominion, to work. We were meant to work. That's part of the reason we were created, but that's not the only reason. God created us in his own image, that we would find our rest and purpose in him. And therefore, while we work six days of the week, on the Sabbath day, we say, it's finished. Christ said that his work was finished on the cross. Why? Because he paid the penalty for our sins. He has the righteousness that we need. And therefore, on the Sabbath day, we see his righteousness, and we rest in that. And we remember our sins have been nailed to the cross. And therefore, when we look at our work, we recognize, oh, yes, it's a good thing. We are created to work, but that's not the ultimate aim. The ultimate aim is that we know the Lord. We honor the divine image in ourself when we rest, and we say it is finished. One of my favorite illustrations of this that I've, I've said before, so many of you know, I've heard this. Sorry, you've got to hear it again. Uh, the Chariots of Fire. I love the Chariots of Fire movie. And in the Chariots of Fire, Eric Little qualifies for the Olympic Games, doesn't he? But there's a catch. The day he's supposed to run, they 
they schedule it for the Lord's Day. And he recognizes that as much as he wants to run, his work is not who he is. And that day is the Lord's Day. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. So he says, I'm not going to run. And he faced tremendous pressure. Now, there's a foil to him. His nemesis runs on that day, and he, his nemesis wins the gold medal. The irony of that is his nemesis said, I have 10 seconds to justify my existence. He was speaking about the race. And even when he finishes the race and he wins the gold medal, do you think that he rests? The irony is he doesn't. He can't rest. He doesn't feel justified, even after he wins the gold medal. Where are you putting your justification? Where are you putting your rest, your hope? For Eric Little, he said, my identity, my life is hidden with Christ and God. And I'm going to honor that day, even if it costs me a gold medal, because that's not all my life. That's not who I am. I want you to be able to find the rest that Christ offers. And only if Christ is your Lord will you find that rest, because only He is the Lord of the Sabbath. But if you put your hope and faith in Him, you can rest on that day. You can find comfort for your soul. You can not have a guilty conscience, but you can see that your sins have been paid for and nailed to the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ got the wrath, the turmoil, the affliction that we deserve to go through in order that we would get the rest that He deserves. You might say it this way, that Jesus Christ is the greater Joshua who leads us into the promised land of rest. Jesus Christ is the greater Ahimelech, the high priest, greater high priest, who feeds us not with the consecrated bread of the temple, but feeds, him, feeds us with his own flesh and blood. The greater high priest, he is the greater David who defeats his enemies, sin and death. And of course, he leads us into a greater Sabbath. In fact, he is the Sabbath rest, the peace, the restoration that we need. So how's your relationship with Jesus today? Is he your Lord of the Sabbath? Or is there something else? My hope is that you would find your rest in him, that you would care about sinners, that you would care about the outcast. You would care about not only the upward aspect, you would take that very seriously. We are to give God his due. But you would also care for other people on that day and that you would nourish your soul by feeding upon Christ crucified. Those are the three things I want all of us to have, because that's what the Sabbath day is about. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest. Put your hope in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we praise you that you have given us a day of rest. This day is the Lord's day. We praise you that as this time of year comes around and we think about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we recognize that without his coming, without the salvation that he brings, that we would be lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. 
But we thank you that you had planned from the very beginning, since the foundation of the Sabbath day, in creation, an end, a consummation, a final coming. Not just the initial coming of the Lord, the Son of God come in the flesh of one substance with the Father, but also that you have planned that he would die for our sins, be raised on the third day, ascend into heaven with power and glory and dominion, and yet one day it will come back again to bring us to himself. We praise you for this great hope that we have. We pray that as we observe the Sabbath, that it would be a countercultural witness to who you are, to the hope that is in the gospel. We pray that people who come into our church would find their rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would hear the gospel, that they would hear about the forgiveness of sins, and they would put their trust and faith in the Lord of the Sabbath. We pray, too, that we would find rest for our own souls, that you would nourish us and feed us by your Holy Spirit and the Word of God every Sunday and throughout the week. And may we on this day give you your due and honor you with reverence and awe, come before, coming before your throne in worship. Fill our hearts with hope and peace today in Jesus' name.